Yeah, it's real easy to tell. Are your nipples real brown? Welcome to the Carpenter Queens podcast, coming to you live from the employee bathroom at the TCQ Video Store, where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day. Welcome, fellow queerdos. I am cold and wet and just plain scared. My name is Nicholas. (laughs) And I am a satanic mechanic. Raymond. Yes, he's Dumador. Hello, everyone. (laughs) If you cannot tell by our opener, I think we're both really, really ecstatic to do this movie. I, I, yes, I'm, I'm 100% excited. I love, I love Rocky Horror and I'm, (laughs) yes, this is our first (laughs) musical. I'm so excited you finally let me do a musical. This is the only musical I'll allow. It, it really fits in with our theme. I feel like our shtick, mm-hmm. our niche, our era of queer and horror. It, it's the best of both worlds. It's queer and horror. Come on. It really is. And it's a musical. Like, <laughs> does it get any gayer than that? <laughs> I'm so stoked. When we first put this on the calendar, I was nervous because we talked about it. For some reason, I always associate Rocky Horror with Halloween. Like, that is the start mm-hmm. of my Halloween season. I will start listening to the soundtrack, like, at the end of August, going into October. Wait, September. September. September comes after August, <laughs> not October. <laughs> you get what I mean. But while I was researching it and then re-watching it, I'm like, oh, no. This totally belongs in, like, our Pride lineup. Like, this absolutely oh, yeah. belongs in our Pride lineup. Yes, yes, yes. I understand, um... All tea, all shade. That uh, most people would only watch this during spooky time, mm-hmm. um, but this very much fits in with our pride theme. Um, it's obviously a very queer movie, and it's just—it's fucking Rocky Horror. Tim Curry, come on, punk, punk volume number one. <laughs> <laughs> Quite honestly, this movie's influence on just like fashion, punk, musicals, and just like gender expression is just. I love it. I love this movie so fucking much. Before we dive in, we have a very important slice news update. And fuck <laughs> you for reading me for last week. I hate you. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. It's just, I, it's gotten progressively more aggressive. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm curious as to where we're going to go with it when you finally peak aggressiveness. Like, are you just going to go really soft and supple with it? Is a slice news update. Oh, no, 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 it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Don't do it. I only have one thing to talk about, and it is going to be Rob Zombie has officially announced he will be doing his take on the classic family living at 1313 Mockingbird Lane. The classic American sitcom The Munsters is getting the zombie treatment. Thoughts, feelings, what? I'm on the fence here because... I love the Munsters, but I also read that Rob Zombie is also a humongous fan of the Munsters. Like he's been trying to get his hands on this for years. Um, and I forgot who I, it was probably John Squires from Bloody Disgusting because I always hey. read his tweets. Um, uh, he was saying that if anybody was going to do this project right, it was going to be Rob Zombie because he's the biggest fan of it. Well, maybe not right, but if he was going to come in with it with the most respect and the most knowledge because he's such a big fan of the show. That makes sense. However, 
Rob Zombie's uh, filmography. It don't is reflect not it, honey. The best. Like you, where's mm-hmm. where are the receipts? I want to see the receipts. <laughs> yeah, no, you're completely right. When I heard about it, um. I thought it was a joke at first. I was like, no, like, Rob's not going to do this. Because if it was about Joe, you would have said like, ha ha, JK. But it the thing was about, a joke. No, but you didn't say JK, though. And Me then, too. I'm like, what? Because I wouldn't have put two and two together because you're right. Rob Zombie's filmography isn't exactly all winners, but they all have mm-hmm. the same thread of like aggressiveness. And I just can't see that applied to the monsters. I'm really nervous. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really nervous. He's going to do his like Rob Zombie thing. And I'm like, I don't need all of these characters to call each other. C- and <laughs> <laughs> Like saying that they're going to skull f- each other. Like, I don't <laughs> need that. Like, I do not need yes. that touching this. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, I, all his movies have like the saw treatment. They're all very gritty and dirty <laughs> and sad in the seventies. Like, what a read! And the like, very graphic language, mm-hmm. uh, explicit, I should say. And but that's not the Both? monsters. It's that's not the, the monsters. Is very it 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 was like a sick like a nineteen fifty sitcom, but with a horror touch. Like and that was it. That's quite honestly, yeah. it, it has the same formula of almost any other sitcom during that time period. It's mm-hmm. very Brady Bunch meets like Scooby Doo's universe. Yeah. Like, it's adorable. I love it. The monsters are fantastic. I think the source material is. I think it's a plethora yes. of stuff that I would absolutely love to see. This like if we're constantly getting remakes, this I would not mind. I would not mind it either. It's something we haven't seen since the original, so I think that's why we don't mind. Mm-hmm. I just I'm really nervous about Rob Zombie doing it because it says like you wrote here um, nothing else has been officially confirmed however there are reports that Sherry Moon Zombie and Jeff Daniel excuse me Jeff Daniel Phillips are in line to play Lily and Herman Munster respectively um, with the cast also including Richard uh, Brake, Dan Roebuck, George Garcia and Cassandra Elvira Peterson yes I like this mm-hmm. I like Elvira, and I'm gonna end there. Hey, thank you. I was about to say, I like, I like Elvira. I hate that he has to put his wife in everything. I hate that she has to be in everything that I he know. does, and she's always the lead. I know. She just she's not always the be. best in the lead. Yeah. Yes! Don't get me wrong. There's a couple of roles that she does extremely well. I mean, Devil's Rejects. Baby Firefly, and that's it. And that's it. Every everything <laughs> else, it's just it's too much for me. Um, I don't mind her as Michael's mother in his reboot version, Mm -hmm. but they always have to, you know, Rob Zombie, like she, like the whole background that he included worked in some areas and other parts. I was just like, Oh, Rob, really? (laughs) Like, I don't want to see Lily Munster's titties. (laughs) You know, it's going to happen. I know know it is. I'm, I'm going to switch the subject because I feel like (laughs) the only person who I feel like would work really well in this universe is Elvira. She gets that. She gets the camp value that's what she is just with a great pair of boobs B-E-W-B-S. she better be lily munster then i would 100 love to see elvira oh play God. lily munster i would love imagine this could be her big comeback i would mm-hmm. i mean not that she ever went away quite honestly she is a whore not for the staple t <laughs> but like this could be a really big comeback into the mainstream universe for her i would i we'd we're going to keep up to date on it. We're going to let everyone know what we know when we find out, like, we're a big source. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I-, I can't wait to keep tabs on this. <laughs> Same. Um, my interest is peaked. 
Um, as much as I love to shit on Rob Zombie, I'm a fan of his music. I'm a fan of some of his films. I like, I'm I'm a pretty kind of somewhat big fan of House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes, you are. But, but I take it at face value for what it is. It's very much like an art house movie. There's not really a whole lot of plot or story there, but it's it's fun to look at. It's got a lot of source material and, excuse me, it made for an excellent house at uh, Halloween Horror Nights. I'm so, sure like, that translates so well. Stuff that he does that's really great. And then you get something like 31 where it was just. <gasps> or Salem. What did he or do? Or Lords of Salem. Lords of Salem. It, <sighs> I don't want to dive more. We're no. all pretty hesitant. All right. For this week's classic movie, our sweet Transylvanians, we are proud to pop our musical cherries with the best musical there is. We see you shivering with anticipation. For this week's film, the 1975 classic, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. You've seen all kinds of movies, but you've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. I'm just a sweet transvestite. See the Rocky Horror Picture Show. A different set of jaws. Rated R. This is honestly this one out of all the films that we have lined up for this month. This one was the one I was most excited for. The DeSoto case. We know <laughs> you love the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, this is uh, a film that you and I both hold near and dear to our hearts. And it's like not even anything that we did together. Like Mm-mm. it wasn't until you moved here that we both realized that we both love this film a lot. And a, was lot like, oh. a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What was your first association with this freaking wonderful piece of musical history? Uh, the first time I ever watched Rocky Horror Picture Show, I rented it from the library. Um, nobody a was constant theme, dude. That we... <laughs> I told you that's how I watched a lot of movies. Was hey, they were free. I just had to bring mm-hmm. them back in like a day or two. We love free. Exactly. We wear our thrifty queens. Um, but yeah, I remember no, obviously nobody was monitoring was watching. So it was just like taking in a lot of films. And I remember um, I had already had like a reference of Rocky Horror in my head. Like by this point in my life, it was already like pop culture at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it was on my radar. Like I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew like the references. So when I finally found it at the library, I was like, holy shit, they have Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like, I've never seen this. Like, and I, I wanted, like, I need to see this. So I remember I rented it and I went home and I watched, like, went to my room and watched it, like, when everybody went to bed, like, 11 o'clock at night, turned off the lights and was blown away with the queer expression that was coming off of my TV screen. It was it's an explosion. A lot. It's an explosion. Yeah. And I love that. It was a lot. It was a lot to take in. And I remember feeling a lot of things and <laughs> the close-ups on Rocky's body uh, and then Brad in the tidy whities Mom, turn this off. This was like wink bank material for me for years. Yes. I have no shame in that. No yeah. shame. Okay, mom, you can like turn that shit back on. 
But I, we do this constantly. We do this constantly. Like, we weren't even on the same continent, I think, at the time that I discovered this. I discovered this at my local library as well in Germany <laughs> out there. And I knew nothing about this movie. The only thing I knew that popped out to me was that Tim Curry was sitting in a pair of lips and it said a different pair of jaws. And I was yes. just like, what is this? Immediately took it home. I watched it like in secret. You know how it is sometimes when you like watch yeah. queer material. You're mm-hmm. just like, ooh, I don't know if I can let other people know that I'm watching this. I will admit the first time that I watched this after like absorbing it, I felt like dirty. It was like, should I have watched this? Like, I feel things like what is happening? Returned it the next day, immediately re-rented it. I think (laughs) I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then from there I showed my friends and this is when I first moved there. So I showed this to some friends that I thought were on the same level of my weirdness and nerdiness. Yes. One of them was like, so down. The other one was like, what did you just show me? Like, what is this? Like, what is this smut? And I was like, okay, we can't be friends. Get out. She's tampering in dark-sided stuff. She's not a Christian. But I still love this mu- this this musical in secret. And you know me. Like, I'm all absorbing in research. And mm-hmm. I love to know everything that there is. So that started. And then I got into musical theater. And this is huge. This is huge in musical theater. Oh, yeah. But quite honestly, there is nothing like this musical within like the repertoire that is like Broadway history. And I love that. It's so fucking cool. Have you ever seen a live production? No, unfortunately. (sighs) Like not, well, not a live production. I've never even like, are you talking about like a screening? Both. We'll do both. Uh, Well, I've never been to either. I did. The the only thing close to it that I've done was when you did a Rocky Horror Hipster show when you lived here in LA. And I went to that and that was a lot of fun. But um, I would totally consider that a live production. Oh, well, then, okay, then I've done a live production. For those who have no idea what's going on, uh, I worked as the makeup head department for a, produ- a kick-ass, like, real punk production of the Rocky Horror Hipster Show. This is the coolest fucking thing I've ever done, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I loved it. They were in, like, the small, like, dingy bar, and they performed yeah. Rocky Horror. And I'd ne- I've never heard it that way. It was, like, full-on, like, little live punk show. band. Yeah, I remember when you told me about it, I, I mean, you were ecstatic. I was ecstatic. We're both fans, and you said you were going to be the lead makeup artist. I was like, "Fuck yes!" And you were showing me your concepts and what we were doing. And I, I remember going to rehearsals with you, um, and we were watching them rehearse, and it was great. And their costumes were great. It, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I loved it. It was directed by Maggie Levin. Hi, Maggie. Um, She did a fantastic Mm -hmm. job. But Mm -hmm. if you have a chance to see a live production, I highly suggest it to anyone. It is the coolest fucking thing. My first exposure to one when I was, I think I was 16, I went to my first Rocky Horror. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Um, It was a live production and it was really cool, but they really tried to do this like interactive 3D thing. So like when Janet was doing touch a touch a touch me, Rocky was holding her and then he like swung her through the audience so she can like brush by them (laughs) during um, during the rain scene over at the Frankenstein place. They had literal rain come down. So it was really cool. No, yeah, it was really fucking sick. So I highly suggest it to anyone. It's an experience. It is truly its own unique experience. But to continue forward before I keep just like gushing over this thing, uh, listeners, you can 
only watch this rock and roll show for rent or purchase. It's kind of a shocker, quite honestly. Um, I thought somebody would have picked it up, but I also get why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, un- quite honestly, I feel like this is a staple that any like any horror or queer fan should have in their library. So it's worth owning. Uh, before we begin, I know we're both pretty stony baloney because we usually smoke beforehand. Mm-hmm. But 420, what you smoking? Ooh, so for this week's screening, Richard and I stopped by our local dispensary and decided to splurge mm. and get some fancy pre-roll joints. And Ooh. so I smoked these. Ooh, burn. <laughs> I smoked these infused uh, joints by, it's, it's Banana Kush, and they're by a company mm. called Baby Teeter. And there are these little joints that are dipped in oh, concentrate. Baby. What, Baby Teeter? What's wrong with Baby Teeter? Smoking off the baby tea is what it sounds like. No, man. <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they're these cute little joints, and they're uh, dipped in concentrate and then rolled in keef, and they fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds like it. I, they look freaking delicious. What did you smoke with this week's screening? What did I smoke? Oh, I smoked. <laughs> Let's do that. I smoked some of my uh, blackjack, which is like a hybrid, but it's got this really like delicious, zesty, like orange, like taste Ooh. and smell to it. I love it. It always it get, makes me makes me super peppy. I'm up. I'm up. I'm ready to perform. So you're ready to do the time warp. Ah, I'm so excited! It is time to break this movie down. Rocky Horror Picture Show, released August 31st, 1975. We have a runtime of one hour and 40 minutes. Our taglines. A different set of jaws. Another kind of Rocky. Give yourself over to absolute pleasure. Don't dream it, be it. Did you know that they stole that from a magazine ad? Don't dream it, be it? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I didn't know. It that. was from a cosmetics ad, and they—they're like, "Oh, we like that. Let's take that." <laughs> oh, that kind of ruins it for me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's such a queer move to do. Uh, I love that quote. That's one of my favorite quotes. Is "Don't dream it, be it." It's literally my high school quote in my senior yearbook. You're so fucking gay. I swear. I know. I'm so, so fucking, fucking gay. gay. I don't care, and I will wear it on my sleeve <laughs> proudly. It's Pride Month, bitch. It's Yay. okay. Oh, so my my uh, high school quote. <laughs> <laughs> it was an Oscar Wilde quote. <laughs> a true friend stabs you in the front. Gay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite tagline is uh, a different set of jaws. I love that. And another kind of Rocky because that's what fucking Jennifer did <laughs> in Jennifer's body. I don't like boxing movies. <laughs> Directed by Jim Sharman. Written by, well, the original music play was written by Richard O'Brien, and the film screenplay was written by Jim Sharman and Richard O'Brien. Starring Tim Curry in his film debut as Dr. Frankenfurter. Way to come out of the glittery, bulgy, high heel gate. Holy shit. Wearing fishnets. So hot. Tim Curry made me feel things. Yeah. He came out of the gates hot with this one, and then just like jumped into character roles from like every movie i love tim curry's filmography Mm -hmm. i adore tim curry's filmography clue hello (sighs) also starring susan sarandon as janet weiss barry boswick as brad majors asshole richard o'brien as riffraff 
Patricia Quinn as Magenta, Nell Campbell as Columbia, Jonathan Adams as Dr. Everett B. Scott, Peter Henwood as Rocky, but he was his singing voice was done by Trevor White. Meatloaf as Eddie. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Meatloaf wasn't quite the star yet when this came out, right? I'm aware of. I honestly don't know much about Meatloaf. The only thing I know by Meatloaf was, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. That is, that's Cher doing Meatloaf. Wagon wheel watches. That wasn't even Meatloaf. Everything always turns to share, and I have no qualms. Snap out of it. Continue. Uh, so rounding out the cast is Charles Gray as the criminologist. The criminologist. Someone who studies crimes. Oh, okay. Watch, I'm so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about this cast. I love this cast. It is fucking amazing tim curry we have susan sarandon who apparently they 20th century fox tried to get her to like show some titties and she was like no miss ma'am i'm not about to do that but she had done or originally done that in like her filmography already but i kind of think that agrees with her character because janet wouldn't do it and also earlier yes i did call her a slut and yes i did call him an asshole if you've ever gone to a live showing you yell at the screen we'll talk about it later but it is very important and it is part of the ritual (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is. But moving on to reviews. We have an IMDb score of 7.4 out of 10. We have a Metacritic score of 65 out of 100. And then a Rotten Tomatoes, to- what did we say last week? To- Tomater. Well, to- <laughs> yeah, but I think it's actually a tomater. Tometer. That one. 79% and then an 85% audience score. I can see why 7.4 and I can also see why a 65 out of 100. This mm-hmm. isn't a mainstream film. No. No. It's not, not for means. the mainstream. No. Mm-hmm. A mainstream was not ready and it's still not really Mm-mm. a mainstream thing. It's definitely a queer slash cult slash horror thing. It, it fully is and I kind of love that about it. It still holds that essence to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Box office. So this one is difficult to settle on. Uh, due to the ever continual showing of the film, the midnight screenings, the box office gross is usually continuously keep building. Um, it is roughly 100 13 million worldwide gross. Good lord. Which is wild when we talk about the budget. But Rocky Horror is also t- one of the longest running films in theater history. It's still, sh- well, I hope it's still showing in some places. But it's, it's a, that's amazing. That's so fucking cool. And that if that doesn't showcase like the impact that this movie had, this came out how many years ago? A lot. 36. It's like on its 36th anniversary. Yeah, sure. we're coming up on our 40th. We're coming up on our 40th in 2025. Ooh. Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's quite the like stamp of approval, I feel like. The longest running like movie that's still screening. That's insane. It's very insane. And that's just showcase like the power of this like fan base. They are feverish about this shit. Oh my god, the fan base. The fans go crazy at these screenings. I love that everybody comes dressed in full geesh and just <laughs> <laughs> like it's a total interaction this is why like i love going to 
screenings of other movies like when i went to see halloween 2 and halloween 1 on film because it just brings together this core group of people that are really nerdy and geeky and like all the same shit you do They're just passionate about the yeah same stuff. so it's very it's really it's cool to communal all yeah it really is. It really, truly is. This is a community, and I can't wait to talk about that, which is why it's so important within queer history. So we're going to go into production. We're going to start off with the original show. It is based off of the original 1973 musical stage production, The Rocky Horror Show, with the music, book, and lyrics by Richard O'Brien. Uh, wanting to combine elements of B-horror movies, schlock horror dialogue, Steve Reeves' muscle flicks, and 50s rock and roll in his musical. And that is why this musical, I think, is so cool. It is just a giant love letter to all of it, while mm -hmm. also, like, being inducted within those, like, horror halls as well. <laughs> no, it's pretty crazy. You could totally see all of these elements in the movie. It's in, it's literally all spelled out for you in the first oh, yeah. song. Science uh -huh. fiction double feature talks about all of that. And it's beautiful. It is my, it, I, okay, hold on. Before I keep going, I love it. Like, let's just keep moving on. <laughs> Uh, using the glam era, which was quickly rising in the British pop culture during the time period, he used it as a backdrop for his piece, and that is very evident. Uh, showing the unfinished script to Australian director Jim Sharman, who O'Brien had worked with on multiple productions beforehand, they decided to set up shop in an experimental space at the Royal Court Theatre in Sloan Square in Chelsea, London. And that is pretty much where it began. Uh, the original creative team consists. Ooh, the original creative team consisted of Sue Bland, musical direction by Richard Harlett, and producer Brian Thompson. Sue Blaine would go on to do the film as well. The working title of the musical, though, was "They Came from Denton High," and it wasn't changed before previews on like Jim Sharman had wanted to change it, and then it was just quickly changed to the Rocky Horror Show, and it fits so much better. Yeah, the "They Came from Denton High" is a horrible title. It's pretty fucking bad it is really <laughs> fucking bad <laughs> but i'm glad they changed it because rocky horror just mm, mm. period <laughs> it solidifies it it's soap it's the perfect title from the small 60 seat venue it quickly moved to london in a 500 seat theater running for six years at the king's road theater where it moved to the u.s on a los angeles debut in 1974 and then in 1975 the rocky horror show premiered on broadway at the 1000 seat velasco theater awesome that's it that was like, sick. moved up quite quickly yes it did it took about three years and then all of a sudden bam now we're also doing a movie this crazy insane little like rock and roll show about gender expression and queerisms like skyrocketed come on y'all this is sick and in london of all places that's crazy oh no oh no casting a good chunk of the cast from the original london stage production including the tim curry moved on over 20th century fox insisted though on casting two leads of brad and janet with american actors and even at one point steve martin was rumored to have auditioned for the role of brad and i did not want to see that no ma'am <laughs> i go do roxanne <laughs> no <laughs> oh, i hate that movie <laughs> And now we too. <laughs> no, I can't see. I would never been able to see Steve Martin in this role. Maybe it's because I'm so used to seeing whoever his name is in this role. <laughs> but I couldn't see Very anybody else. Way. Yeah. Patricia Quinn famously stated that she only took the role of Magenta in stage production because she loved the opening song, Science Fiction Double Feature. She was upset she didn't actually get to sing the song in the film, but she agreed to the now iconic lip sync as the red pair of lips. Iconic. <sighs> iconic. Really, it's like stamped in like pop culture. Mm -hmm. 
The vocals will be provided by Richard O'Brien. Iconic vocals as well. I'm going to talk about that really quick because that opening scene with using a quote female pair of lips and introducing a male singer singing in high for like Like a falsetto falsetto, just immediately gives you the impression of like gender expression and just like this queerness immediately and that I think that's what's so captivating about it because you're just looking at a pair of lips Mm -hmm. but yet to me it's one of the most opening credit it's the most iconic opening credit scenes like period for me Mm -hmm. agreed it's it's just it's it made its point from the very opening Vincent Price was offered the role of the criminologist, but turned it down due to scheduling conflicts. He was interested in the role as he had seen the West End production and loved it. And holy shit, can you imagine if we had Vincent Price? This. Good evening. (laughs) No, that's Alfred. (laughs) Kind of the same. Uh, (laughs) I feel like if they would have got Vincent Price, it might have done better. um, Really? I can see that. I can really see that amazing addition to the cast oh my god so gag worthy so gag worthy moving on to filming filming took place from october 21st to december 19th in 1974 the film was shot at bray studios and oakley court a 1857 victorian gothic style country house now as gorgeous as this was a majority of the film was shot at this location although at the time it was not in good condition at all according to barry boswick he claimed to have always be wet during filming at oakley court due to the fact that it always had a leak there was also once a quote warm room filled with space heaters for cast members to take turns trying to get warm however (laughs) this was stopped when the room allegedly caught fire (laughs) jesus That sounds miserable. This sounds miserable. Welcome to the magical world of filmmaking, y'all. Tea, honestly. (laughs) I don't care that you can't feel your toes. Act happy. I can't tell you how many times I've been on set and like I've been squished into the corner because I had to get a (laughs) wide shot of the whole room. And so we were all squished into a hot, sweaty corner in the middle of August because you have to turn off the AC while you're filming. Otherwise, it'll pick up the audio. Bitch. It's a pain in the ass. My favorites were moving camera shots where literally like the whole crew had to move with the camera so they don't get in shot. <laughs> yeah. Like those are always my favorite. They were just running behind the cameraman. <laughs> For the makeup designs, originally the actors in the stage productions did their own makeup. However, Pierre LaRoche was brought on to redesign the makeup for each character. Pierre had previously been a makeup artist for Mick Jagger and the infamous David Bowie. Are you fucking kidding me? I did not know this. Are you fucking kidding me? It explains why this makeup is so iconic. Like all capital letters. Because this makeup is always recreated. I've done it multiple times. And I know multiple people who love wearing this makeup. It... uh, Like, uh, that's all I have to say. Just, uh. (laughs) Ow. Ow. (laughs) Sue Blaine was brought back on for costuming. She was not so thrilled to be brought on board initially until she found out Curry, an old friend, was committed to the film. They had previously worked on a few productions together. The budget for the film's costumes was $1,600, but once that's adjusted for inflation, that's $8,667. So that's still significant, but there's a shit ton of, like, characters in this movie that yeah you have to what i f- i find funny though is that a lot of it is just like 
for Rocky, it's just a, a pair of underwear, and that's okay. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> <laughs> save money there. It's totally good. All the party guests are just wearing like these weird kind of satin, black satin tuxedo type deals. I don't know. I guess they were, maybe the fabric was on sale and they were able to like whip these out <laughs> real quick. Joanne's is giving a sale and I have coupons. <laughs> Hilariously, Blaine admits to never conducting research for her designs. She'd never seen a science fiction film and she was very aware that her costumes for Brad and Janet were generalizations of what she thought Americans dressed as. <laughs> Quote, one just automatically knows what spacesuits look like, the same way one intuitively knows how Americans dress. I had never been to the United States, but I had this fixed idea of how people looked there. Americans wore polyester so their clothes would increase, and their trousers were a bit too short. Since they're very keen on sports, white socks and white t-shirts played an integral part in the wardrobe. This b- just read everybody. The I love her. I love her. I she's love not her. Wrong. Be- she's not wrong. But at the same time, what she thought was like a generalization of it kind of fits like this 1950s aesthetic mm-hmm. of what like Americana looked like. Yeah, no, it totally works. And you shady shit. She's a shady bitch and I live. I live. But I love one of my favorite costumes aside from like the iconic like magenta and riffraff mm-hmm. and Columbia. Mm-hmm. My favorite are the end costumes for riffraff and, and oh. uh, magenta. They're spate. Oh. We'll get to it, but these costumes and the looks with the hair and the gun, I live. Uh, Many of the costumes were exact replicas of the stage production. Other costumes were new for the film, including Columbia's infamous golden sequence sequence (laughs) outfit (laughs) and Magenta's maid uniform. And I love Columbia's, like, uh, uh, love. uh, (laughs) It's the gayest thing I've ever seen. I'll take mine in an extra large, please. You stupid bitch. You'd look so good trying to tap. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) I would like to see it. Meatloaf's motorbike scene led to multiple onset accidents. A stuntman was used in wide shots, and at one point, the bike fell off the top tier of the pink room and landed upside down. Jesus. (laughs) You're laughing, you fucking bitch. Well, what did you think was going to happen? I know. (laughs) But apparently when it tipped over, Meatloaf lifted it up. <laughs> he lifted the motorbike and apparently the stuntman was like still for a couple of minutes. So everyone kind of freaked out. But apparently it's like a stuntman thing. Like they lay still to check to make sure what's going on in their mm-hmm. body. And then he got up. Yeah. But I would have I would have immediately pulled attention and started crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, is he okay, you guys? <laughs> no, I'm so worried about me though. <laughs> In order to get shots of Meatloaf riding the bike, they rigged a wheelchair that would hold a set of handlebars and a motorcycle windshield. At one point, the wheelchair hit a ridge at the bottom of the steps and sent Meatloaf flying and shattering the camera and windshield. His stuntman tried to catch him, but the ramp caught the stuntman's legs and caused serious fractures. Jesus Christ. I... Look... (laughs) I've seen this movie a million times. And I, watching the scene, I would never have guessed that all this shit happened because I know it doesn't look that intense. In all honesty, aside from him coming down that like ah! the, from the second. Why are floor. you hurt? It's not even that hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like it wasn't like they were filming the Born Identity. Like it did. <laughs> what? Like it's hard. It, this is wild. But like 
it also kind of makes sense that this rock and roll punk type of musical and movie is having to deal and rig shit this way in no. order to get it done. Like, that makes sense to me. But fuck, this sounds miserable. A little bit. Because as well as all of this other stuff happening, a famous fun fact is that Susan Sarandon caught pneumonia in the pool scene because of the way that this house was built. There's, it's too cold. And Richard O'Brien famously stated that he was really worried about her, but she just kept tr- trucking along, even though she probably should have gone to a doctor. Jesus. I know. Commitment. Tim Curry originally had Dr. Frankenfurter using a German accent, but during filming, Curry switched this to speaking like the Queen of England, as well as a mix of his mother. That's interesting. Can you imagine, like, a German accent? <laughs> it would totally ruin it. It really, I don't, I don't know if it would ruin it, but I just associate every single Frankenfurter I've ever seen has done this accent. Mm-hmm. I know they're doing Tim Curry as Frankenfurter, mm-hmm. but like, <laughs> it's, it's so associated with Frankenfurter that mm-hmm. I cannot hear it any other way. Same. Our final piece of fun facts is the original poster's lips was actually the lips of Playboy model Lorelai Shark, who would use the same lips for her FM radio station billboards, The Loop. What? I always said it was still magenta. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. But there, I love those lips. Girl, I was such a doodler in high school. I've doodled those lips so many fucking times. I, uh, it makes sense, though, looking back, uh, because her lips... Uh, I'm sorry, what was her name again? Laura Light Shark. Um, Her lips are much more full. They're like a little Mm -hmm. more luscious and supple. Um, Bigger enough for Tim Curry to to lay out on. Whereas Magenta's thin little red lips. Uh, (laughs) Your frail, thin little lips don't cut the job, (laughs) sis. So the final part that we're going to talk about this history is the release and the birth of the Midnight Tradition. So the Midnight Tradition, it's essentially kind of like a ritual that began due to the film being pulled from major theaters and only being released in select theaters. It was really popular when it was released in New York, but everywhere else, it just did not do well. Makes sense. So at one point, Fox tried re-releasing the film around college campuses on a double bill with the rock music film Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise from 1974. I've heard good things about this. This is one I actually haven't seen yet, no, but I, it is like it is on my list. Seeing the midnight showing successes of Reefer Madness and our TCQ alum John Waters' Pink Flamingos, Fox executive Tim Deegan saw the opportunity and he took it. So it was released in New York City on April Fool's Day in 1976. And shortly after that, it started popping up all over the place and the cult following started. If you're a newcomer, how do you explain like a showing experience? I would say that we are going to a movie screening with a bunch mm-hmm. of people who are really big fans mm-hmm. who come dressed to the nines in full costume to As reenact scenes from the movie to shout at the screen and throw things. It's an experience. It, it that's that's pretty much it. The tradition grew and grew, and it quickly kept building from other theaters. So I know at one point one theater was doing like the yelling at the screen, and they changed it. There's a whole history behind it. Mm-hmm. What you're yelling at the screen was essentially established way back when in the 70s, and it essentially progressed. So you can find scripts depending on where you're at of different locations of what they yelled at the screen. Yeah, which is why I yelled. Anytime someone mentions Brad Major's full name, you all. Asshole. Anytime someone mentions Janet Weiss, 
full name. You call her slut. Listen, I understand that they're not all appropriate, but a lot of the things that you yell at the screen are not appropriate. I know one line is when Frankenfurter traps Rocky in the elevator and slams it shut. Rocky starts freaking out and the line is, uh, you caught his dick in the door. <laughs> There's a lot and it's hilarious and it's changing depending on where you're at. You, like you said, throw things at the screen. So when it's raining, you can squirt water guns. You put a newspaper over your head during the wedding, you throw rice. So it's really fun and it's meant to have you involved and people either reenact it in front of the screen I have seen productions where they stop the movie and they do a full performance and oh, wow. then continue on with like certain sections. Mm-hmm. It just depends on where you go and who does it, which I think is so neat. You can always have a different experience. Yeah, it all varies. Every time. It varies from theater to theater and cast to cast. And I love that. So it, it started like this whole midnight screening kind of interactive type deal. And I want to go on a quick, quick tangent because I don't think we touched on it in the notes when we're about to get done to the breakdown. Um, it So... Rocky Horror had a stint at Halloween Horror Nights, uh, especially for Orlando for quite some time. Um, they had a really cool Rocky Horror like live performance and they used like a lot of the cast from like the Beetlejuice Rock show and Tight. and with other people. And anyways, it, it, it was a big hit in Orlando for quite a few years. And then they tried to bring the show here to LA. And unfortunately, like, I just don't think the general public who goes to Horror Nights was ready for anything that queer. Um, I don't think a lot of people had seen it or were familiar with it. Cause I remember I was excited for it. They had showed it in the old like Terminator 2 theater. And Shit, that's a huge theater. I know, and it wasn't even full. <laughs> it wasn't oh, even full. Man. Yeah, and so I remember when we did go see it, I mean, I was here for it. I love Rocky Horror and the cast did great, but it was a lot of like straight Latino men huh. and, and straight Latinas. And it, the, it just, it was not the right audience and they weren't feeling, I remember like seeing people walk out like from the theater. Yeah. So we only had it for one year and I don't even think it made it to the end of the run. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Damn. So that's very unfortunate. Gotta know your audience, I guess. That's so upsetting. This is true, but if anyone has a chance, I highly, highly suggest just be prepared. You might have to play the Virgin Games. I know you <laughs> haven't played the Virgin Games. I know what the Virgin Games are, though. But it's essentially, like we said, it's different for every place that you go. Um, but if you've never gone to a showing, you're supposed to. You don't have to. They don't force you to do stuff. But you can play what they call the Virgin Games, and they will place a giant V on your forehead in lipstick. Red And lipstick. you have to play red lipstick and you have to perform whatever game they have my game was i had to eat a vienna sausage between someone's legs oh it's not even and the that is why i'm gay someone's legs that bothers me it's the vienna sausage, it's the vienna sausage. <laughs> <laughs> i've also seen them where they make you uh fake an orgasm on stage let's begin this wondrous madcap musical adventure through pop punk rock and other gender expressions <laughs> hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
got your happy price, price line. The film opens up with the best opening numbers for a musical. The soft chords of science fiction double feature start and a pair of gorgeous high pigmented red lips sing as credits roll for our film. We get a title card. In classic red drip font, of course. We get introduced to our cast of the scientists, a heroine, a hero, a handyman, a domestic, a groupie, a rival scientist, a creation, an ex-delivery boy, and an expert. This is such an iconic opening scene and we can't stress it enough. Like it's really cemented in pop culture. Like these Mm -hmm. red lips, this song, these roles almost. Because all you see is a black screen with the most beautiful, like technicolor red lips singing about past like 1950s films uh and also mentioning janet weiss and every you know what type of movie that you're getting with our science (laughs) (laughs) i love this opening in the original stage production it's performed by the character trixie and Mm -hmm. she's a film usher and she sings it before the production begins but i love this so much more it's so simple in its technique and it is so queer in using what we talked about earlier, their lips and the voice coming forward. It's so cool. It is so cool. It is my favorite opening number like of any musical. I think it works so well and it's still relevant and uh, not outdated because it's so simple. It's just graphic red lips and it just, it, that's why it hasn't stopped. Like, of course, like red lips are still iconic till this day. Oh, I know. Who doesn't look good in a really good red lip? Mm, I know I do. (laughs) She's wearing it now. (laughs) Oh, we should have wore red lips for this. Girl, I I seriously debated on, like, coming in full regalia today. (sighs) You should have. Who would it have been for? Me. (laughs) For us. The Just gr- imagine. <laughs> oh my god, Jackie, when did you put on that corset? It looks so good. Thanks. I just got these new fishnets, too. <laughs> she reused them from her Born This Way anniversary party. <laughs> <laughs> Once our credits have rolled, we head to a church for the wedding of Ralph Hapshat and Betty Monroe. Mm. It's here we are introduced to our two normal, ordinary, healthy kids in November 1974 from a small town of Denton, Ohio. Quote, the home of happiness. Brad Majors and Janet Weiss, whom Brad is a best man and Janet is the maid of honor. Inspired by the wedding's events and possibly even the newly married couple's car that states, wait till tonight, she got hers, now he'll get his. Fucking disgusting. I hate it. I love it. Brad asks Janet to marry him in through none other than song. Jazz hands. (laughs) We get damn it, Janet. And it commences as Brad and Janet sing throughout the church, even as they prepare to turn the church over into a funeral. (laughs) She accepts. And even after Brad drops the ring, elated, they decide to go tell their old professor, Dr. Everett Scott, the good news. Dr. Scott! Huh? What, you want some dick? I... I have to admit, when I first watched it, I was not keen on Damn It, Janet. But now, I love Damn It, Janet. Mm-hmm. This opening scene sells you a million jokes literally, like, every fucking minute. Yeah. And if you're not catching it, you're going to miss it. But Rocky Horror is meant to watch multiple 
multiple times. Yeah, you can't watch this uh, once and think you've taken it all in because there's so the music and the, the quips are like you said they're very quick and there's a lot in there to digest so there's visual gags too they're like a mile a minute and i feel like i know on my first watch i didn't realize that tim curry was the priest and that uh, magenta and riffraff were there as well they're so the caretakers have... of the church yeah so columbia's in there too when they go into the oh, church yeah. mm-hmm. she's cleaning the pews my favorite visual gag is when they have the white flowers in the wonderful clean vase and then they flip Turn it them around. And, it's bl- and it's black flowers with a black vase and they start <laughs> prepping for the funeral. It is so fucking funny. I love this number because you really get who these characters are. Janet, I, the opening lines are, uh, what is that? Um, hey, Janet. Yes, Brad. I really love the skillful way. And it's just, Brad just looks like <laughs> He looks like Clark Kent, but never having Superman power. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like Clark Kent if he never got any superpowers and just lived a normal life for the rest of his life. Exactly. And then Susan Sarandon is like the best, sweet, caring, innocent woman in the beginning of this movie. Yeah. It's it's the perfect setup. It is the perfect setup. This just feels like a classic Martian 1950s movie of the sweet couple that's about to go through peril. Yeah, definitely. They feel like they're this high school sweethearts from a small town who are about to get married and they want to go tell their college professor. Janet, oh Brad, I'm mad. Okay, I, I can't say everything because I will get flagged. <laughs> Uh, We shift over to our narrator throughout the film. A criminologist explains that we will be embarking on a strange journey following the misadventures of Brad and Janet. He mentions that although a storm is quickly approaching and though they were driving down a long road and their spare tire was badly in need of air, they went out for a night out. It was a night out they would remember for a very long time. I love the narrator. Mm-hmm. He's, it, besides the fact that he's got no neck, that's totally fine. We'll, like, <laughs> we'll, we'll look past it. I think it's such a cute device because for some reason it gives me like um like Twilight Zone vibes. Mm-hmm. Like you are now entering the Twilight Zone. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so cute. And he's used multiple times and I love his part in Time Warp. And we'll get I was just about to say, I think that's my favorite part from him is in Time Warp. Uh, Brad and Janet drive through the rain listening to Richard Nixon's famous speech. Uh, As bikers pass by and the rain pours down, they reach a dead end. Trying to turn around, we hear a loud bang! And the car skids to a stop. Realizing their predicament, Brad suggests that they travel to a castle they pass along the way to ask for help. Janet initially is hesitant, but Brad convinces her and they walk through the rain. As Janet tries to shield herself from the rain with a newspaper, they break into song. There's a light over at the Frankenstein's place, discussing how no matter how bad things get, they'll always find the light and things will get better. This is secretly the biggest bop of this whole soundtrack. There's a light over at the Frankenstein place. There's a light. I feel so bad for our audience today. They're just going to have to listen to us. I'm not mad about it. This is a fucking musical, bitch. And it's Pride Month. I dare you to say anything to me. That's homophobia if you come after us. All tea, tea. this is a bop right here. I it really is wasn't one of my favorite songs when I first started watching it, and then like as I kept watching it and I started listening to the soundtrack aside from just watching the movie, it Mm -hmm. really grew on me. 
we get them going through the raid. And once they get up to the castle, we get a sick silhouette shot of Riff Raff in the high window singing in high key. And bitch, it is so rock. It is so wonderful. This song is such a bop. I love it. This song is such a bop. I love it anytime someone performs this live because anytime it's live, they usually really go in on the guitar because it's kind of in the background mm-hmm. in this film. But when it's live, it's so good. <laughs> so good. Soon the two arrive at the front doorstep of the castle and they're welcomed by Riff Raff, a tall, gaunt, balding, scary looking butler. Hello. It's hello. Oh. It's kind of like, it's like. It's, <laughs> you did that so good. I can do riffraff so well. It's the only impression I'm good at. You do only it because then. it's a super nasally um, <laughs> Snape. That's all you have. <laughs> Hello, you're wet. Yeah, it's raining. Come in. I fucking love riffraff. Secret MVP of this whole musical. He's so yes. fucking funny and his visual is like an igor meets a balding lead of spinal tap meets uh the hunchback of notre dame he's got that (laughs) huge hump that he throws glitter on and goes dancing (laughs) dancing i knew it (laughs) i knew it he invites them in and they take in the dark and macabre world they've entered dark wooden furniture stuffed animals trophies and a hidden magenta Riff Raff explains that the master is having a party. And my favorite line when Brad and Janet come in, he, they're like, oh my God, Brad's like, must be a hunting lodge for rich weirdos. They're <laughs> just like, shut up, Brad. And then out comes Magenta from the, the dark and goes, he's lucky, you're lucky, I'm lucky, we're all lucky. And then just slides down the banister in her <laughs> sick maid outfit in the best but thirstiest, red, full, bouncy hair. I love, love magenta. And she kind of is in the dark, but she's in the whole shot when they pull up to the staircase. She's just kind of like hunched over. And my favorite is she just like unravels and makes <laughs> herself known. She blew. What a fucking <laughs> what a fucking queen. I love it. And we immediately break into the infamous and on everybody's Halloween playlist, oh the God. Time War. Yes. I still pop off whenever the song comes on. I don't care. It's always a bop. It's, there's never there's never a wrong time for the time warp, in my opinion. This is true. This is honestly true. I'm gonna play it at my funeral. <laughs> I absolutely will. <laughs> Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today because a backstabbing little bitch got a death. The song is intercut with the party and the crimeologist. The song is essentially a full instructional dance step. It's performed by the Transylvanians in lavish outfits, and they kind of look like a butler pirate through a New Year's Eve party. And it's like a <laughs> Transylvanian convention. They're all ushered into the Great Hall with a throne, a jukebox, and Columbia and her best golden sequence outfit. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, all too much for Brad and Janet, and they try to sneak out while Janet begs and pleads with Brad to leave. This is, it's so hypnotic and energetic. I, every time this song comes on, you can't help but at least wiggle. You gotta wiggle with it, wiggle with it. Or uh, tap your foot or something, mm-hmm. do something. It's cemented itself in pop culture history for sure. Everybody knows the time warp. Everybody knows how to do the time warp because it's literally in the song. You take a step to the right. Put your hands on your hips. <laughs> I love it. If those who don't know how to do the time warp, it's like 
How do I explain it? It's like, um... It's like the hokey pokey, but for queers. Yay, that's actually better. I prefer <laughs> that one. It's just a jump to the left, and then, and then a step, step to, to the, the right. right. Put, Put your, your hands, hands on your, your hips. hips. Sorry, guys. It's Let's iconic. Stop. Stop. It's it's like I'm not. I do not care. Turn <laughs> off the episode now. <laughs> like I do not care. I love this song because it for me, like being a super uber queer musical theater nerd, anytime this came on in any musical theater situation, the queens went off. The We're queen went it. off. I choreographed this number for my last musical review in high school. Like gay you're so gay and i love every moment of it i'm gonna put it on the this week's instagram i'm not afraid to because <laughs> i just, i love rocky horror ridiculously but it's it's iconic and it's very cemented we also get riffraff go from like hello to ah! so fast it's so cute and jetsy as <laughs> only riffraff can flailing his arms he looks like jim carrey and ace ventura when he's flopping his arms around <laughs> he does iconic tap dancing number from columbia oh, like every every set in this is so beautiful and it immediately literally immediately leads in to the next number mm -hmm, because brad and janet are not having any of this they're too white bread for the time warp <laughs> And so Brad, or excuse me, Jen exclaims, Please, Brad, I'm playing, I'm cold and I'm wet and I'm just plain scared. And then immediately they bump into the house elevator. Yeah, I'm going to use that mm -hmm. word. Elevator. And as it comes down, as they try to evade the group, they turn around and see the most magnificent character to ever grace musicals. Dr. Frankenfurter in full regalia, wrapped in a black cloak, makes themselves known. Janet faints and Dr. Frankenfurter performs Sweet Transvestite, mocking both Brad and Janet while showcasing their beauty. That is all Dr. Frankenfurter. Yes. This is the best debut ever. Ever. Like, if you're going to make your first film, this is how you make an entrance. 100% agree. Like that, that was an entrance pitch. That was a reveal. And that was a, bitch, that was a review. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race can never. And <laughs> it's amazing. I love the sliding opening of, of the elevator doors and the just like slouching against the door and taking it all in. We need to address the terminology. So mm -hmm. this is my, I guess my only quote unquote tiff or complaint with this movie but i have to give this movie two credits the first credit is that the word transvestite i don't believe would be the correct terminology for what frankenfurter might identify now and that's because the terminology used in this film was used in 1974 mm -hmm. it's very very dated the year before 1973 it was just eradicated that homosexuality was no longer identified as a mental illness mm -hmm. so i want that viewed in the showcase of like where we are in this time period because i believe now technically we would use the terminology cross-dresser for to Frank describe frankenfurter in the book everything you ever wanted to know about trans written by by bryn tanhill talks about these terminologies for cross-dresser the term cross-dresser is typically used to refer to men who occasionally wear clothes makeup and accessories culturally associated with women those men typically identify as heterosexual. This activity is a form of gender expression and not done for entertainment purposes. 
cross-dressers do not wish to permanently change their sex or live full-time as a woman. And that was according to the GLAD Media Guide. And I feel like that kind of fits here more. I think I would also associate Frankenfurter as pan, possibly mm-hmm. now, over what terminology that they use. Because the terminology for transvestite or the term transsexual mm-hmm. is, I think, is both used like coyly in this movie yeah. because Transylvanians are an alien planet. Correct. So that that is how they're using this terminology to use the word transvestite. And I just mm. wanted to, we need to make that known and we have to talk about that, especially with the terminology and the phrases that we use today. Mm-hmm. I just want to state that this movie, I feel like quote unquote gets away with it because this movie is still such a giant middle finger to <laughs> To like gender norms and yes. what people yes. made of like the queer community. Like they mm-hmm. really came out and were just like, no, like this is how we're gonna express ourselves. This is how yes. we see ourselves and this is what we're putting out. And I think that's why this movie, I, to my knowledge, I do understand that there's probably people who don't feel comfortable with the terminology used in this, mm-hmm. but a majority of the time this is taken by the queer community and so widely accepted because it is like, I guess you can say our first like mainstream depiction of just like gender queer, gender expression, and just a giant fun. It's just fun and meant to be used as a way to play with, you said, gender norms. And I think that's what this is. That's why it's such a big statement. And I love, love this song. It is so good. Tim Curry's fucking fantastic. <laughs> yeah, this is in no way meant to offend i feel like they were like you said they were trying to get these terms into their film and in their musicals so they used using transylvania as an alien planet and then being residents of that alien planet to use these terms no and i think you're absolutely correct on all of that and we have to state it and it's very important and i don't want to glaze over it because it's needed Uh, but i'm just gonna gush about tim curry because his attitude is fucking everything tim curry i think is one of the only other characters besides the crimologist who addresses the audience and fully looks at the screen Mm -hmm. one of my favorite lines is well you got a cop with a flat well how about that (laughs) i'll get you a satanic mechanic it's so beautiful Mm -hmm. and tim curry is so fucking hot in this movie they bring this essence and this energy to this character that led this film and honestly nobody but tim curry could have done this with right their effervescence and their Their gravitas yeah that they just Mm. put on this character and on this whole film overall it it's chef's kiss as she should correct because for me i still love this movie and i would still watch it but when frankenfurter makes the reveal i'm like the movie has started honey (laughs) the queen has arrived Uh this is the main event and bitch does she give you a performance because we also get the sick throne section of this song when she just lays herself Mm -hmm. over that throne columbia's looking at her trying to lick up them legs Mm -hmm. and he describes that he's making a new man and he wants everyone to come and they're invited to come up to the lab and see what's on the slab Mm -hmm. he's making a man with blonde hair and a tan and he's good for relieving my 
Tension. Look, we can't sing anymore. <laughs> I know. But we we finish out this grand finale number. They re-enter the elevator and they see us shivering with anticipation. It's so good. But they lead us up to where we're gonna move off to next. Yeah, so um they're after the song breaks and everything, they they well most of the party leads out to go to the lab to see what's on this lab. And uh, they leave Janet and Brad there and Riff Raff and Magenta and Columbia start undressing them. And <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes because Brad just accepts it at this point. He knows that they're mm-hmm. kind of fucked and he, so he's just letting them undress them. And Janet is over there like, oh, what are you doing? Don't touch me, get off me. And he's like, just just go along with it. Just go. They may do more. <laughs> but I do love- either of you guys know how to Madison? <laughs> People would pay their left arm to go up to Frankenfurter's lab. Does that mean you'd like to go too? Ha! I've seen it! And then she throws their clothes. Columbia's just, she's the groupie. She's just following along. Columbia kind of really doesn't have much plot device. No. Not until later. Yeah. But I love her character and how she interacts with everyone. To me, Columbia is that actress and I feel like she just played herself but she could just be a really good actress because this is <laughs> fucking great I I also agree I love the stripping scene it's so fucking funny and it's uh-huh. played so fast it is it's so quick and there's so much like witty dialogue in there that you'll miss mm-hmm. a lot which is why we recommend that you watch this more than once because you're gonna miss a lot the first time around you really are because if it's your first time viewing you're just in for the ride and absorbing everything <laughs> that this movie's throwing at you uh, but brad and janet are led out into the center of an observing room a giant it looks like a giant abandoned pink hospital yeah. where they are put on display by dr frankenfurter who's now wearing a lab coat and long surgical <sighs> gloves although those fishnets and heels are still on a baby mm-hmm. I, my favorite costuming bit out of all of the costumes is Frankenfurter's pink triangle. And I love that piece because it was originally used by the Nazis to identify homosexuals when it was facing downward. But it was reclaimed by the queer community and it faces up as a form of positive queer, like I am queer. And I love, love that small bit of costume. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. It's it's my absolute favorite. And funny enough, that's one of this is one of my favorite costumes from the movie is Frankenfurter mm-hmm. with still their fishnets and and uh, cincher underneath, but with the like hospital kind of doctor's gown and the gloves. But spoiler alert, I love her when she's blood splattered like that. Oh, same, same. Uh, the Transylvanians essentially hold a convention and watch the events from above as like, this very creepy audience. Mm-hmm. Frankenfurter then walks over to a box-like shape covered by a tarp and throws off the covering to reveal a tank. This is all before Dr. Frankenfurter gives a very long monologue about how he has created life. It's beautiful. This is like the most like sci-fi Frankenfurter like yes. Frankenstein, Frankenstein, like mm-hmm. event that we get. And in the tank is this wrapped thing. I love the tank. It apparently was also used in a lot of the props, including this tank, were used in actual old 1950s, 1960s sci-fi and horror movies. Oh, shit. So, so, yeah, it's so cool that they brought it over. He shouts for Magenta and Riff Raff to set the oscillator. 
one more level and the machine starts going and the room darkens things start freaking out frank himself starts laughing maniacally as he turns knobs and dials and wheels as fluid pours into the tank and a humanoid form appears slowly a skeleton at first and then it warps and everyone just watches in terror and i love i love i love all of this this is just frankenstein bringing the body up to get struck by lightning Mm -hmm. it's so queer because the water and the liquid used is a rainbow rainbow, yeah (laughs) it's beautiful apparently tim curry was told what lever to pull in shot so he looks frantic because they're just yelling at him pink blue Oh, okay. (laughs) That makes sense because he's like... (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's so... It's it's so campy and over the top, but it's very much their ode to, like, science fiction and Frankenstein, and it's pure camp, and I live for this whole scene. I do, too. Carefully, Frankenfurter leads out the humanoid figure wrapped entirely in bandages and cuts them away to reveal a full-grown man with blonde hair and a tan, blue eyes, <laughs> and a muscular figure wearing only skimpy golden bikini over his crotch. So meaty. Riffraff spins some wheels he shouldn't have while cackling to himself, setting the blonde man known as Rocky Horror loose. Frank chases Rocky through the lab, crying his name as a bouncy song about the creation. Rocky feeling a sense of dread plays. Eventually, Frank catches Rocky and scolds him for misbehaving, but he says he forgives him and he's beautiful. This is another sequence where it's like two numbers back to back. Because mm-hmm. when Rocky's born, we get Sword of Damocles is hanging over my head. And this song is great just because you're watching a hot guy bounce around and is just, he's hot, he's really hot. He's rib for her pleasure. Rib <laughs> But I love this scene because the, it's already campy as shit, but Tim Curry just somehow turns it up even more to 11. And my favorite sequence is, is when he's just chasing Rocky around the laboratory, uh-huh. just going, <laughs> raising his fist. And like shaking his gown like it's a dress. <laughs> so cute it's so fucking funny it is beautiful and from here it transitions into i can make you a man it sounds like a gospel song and i love that <laughs> we just it's just essentially like a workout sequence of mm-hmm. frankenfurter showing off his hot sweaty creation and it would not be a queer movie if it didn't have wonderful forms of just like hot sexiness some so we tna first body we got it in the covenant and bitch we better give it in fucking rocky horror yeah bitch, you give it to us. because frank uh gifts rocky at his birth all of these all of this gym equipment it includes weights like a balance beam and god knows what else and rocky's just rocking all of it and in this skimpy Ugh. little cold bikini and he's all oiled Ugh. up i can't tell you how many times i rewatched <laughs> 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 this literally happened in last week's episode you're like should i leave the room <laughs> i know this it's so good and bitch you best believe every time i go to a live showing I pay close attention to whoever's playing Rocky Horror. Like, you best bring it. If you weren't, I, so I've seen three live showings. The first live showing, 
he was hot. He was good. He was fine. He was a lot beefier, but where it showed was, girl, I was like, did they shove a full banana down your hammock? Because, baby, baby. <laughs> baby, 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 hold on. And then the last showing I saw, he was very fit, but there was no butt. I love butt. Yeah. You really need to have a nice butt I'm for an me. Ass man that's myself. just me personally. Yeah. I am an ass man myself. But I love it because we also get one of my favorite parts in that song is when Ro- uh, Frankenfurter singing to Rocky and he goes with just a little bit of steam and just trails his mm-hmm. finger down his gutters. And oh my God, <laughs> you're so fucking gross. You're going to have to bleep that out. I hate you. Then quickly, the deep freezer malfunctions and Columbia squeals, Eddie! <laughs> a burly, heavyset biker named Eddie, Meatloaf, rides out on a motorcycle dressed in black leather, singing about his former glory. The, and, this is, no, no, I'll take that back. I'll save that for later. But this is Whatever Happened to Saturday Night, or more popularly known as Hot Patootie. Bless my soul. I really love that rock and roll. Oh, Everybody eats the shit up, enjoying the show. We get the motorcycle chase around scene. Apparently, I don't know if this is true or not. So when Eddie makes his grand appearance and he breaks through the wall out of the freezer, apparently, I couldn't find incredible sources on it. The reason why he breaks out of the wall is that when they were building the set, they built a wall there not knowing that he had to exit from there. So that is why he breaks out. But I can't confirm this. Well, that was just bad on the production center's point. Ah! <laughs> oh, but you want to really fight. But Frank quickly goes angry and wrathful that Eddie stole his show, takes out a pickaxe, and chases Eddie into the deep freezer where he is hacked to bits. And this is probably the scariest scene because Tim Curry looks fucking frightening. <laughs> he delivers an excellent performance from the moment they hit the screen to the moment they leave the screen. And for Mm -hmm. me, this is one of the heights of their performance with the whole movie because the look of pure chaos and lunacy on their face while they're hacking away at Eddie. And it's just a close-up of Tim Curry and it's it's pretty horrifying. It's like the only one of the only scary moments of this movie. Because even though this movie's called Rocky Horror, it's not really a scary movie. It just has like horror elements to it. Like it's set in a scary, decrepit castle and it's got these weird characters. But it's not really a scary movie except for these few little bits that are sprinkled in, like this murder scene. And everybody's freaking out. Columbia's screaming. My favorite is once he's done hacking, he comes out and everyone is like shocked. Everyone is freaked out. And he just makes Magenta take off his clothes. <laughs> and Magenta does it so, like, annoying. Like, like so annoying. Rips off his Frank's gloves. And Columbia, by this point, is hysterical. She's still screaming. And I think that's what's the worst part for me, or is the scariest, like, most uncomfortable part, is her screams. And because she, like, you can tell she genuinely loved Eddie. And Eddie's dead, man. Sorry about it. Sed's dead, baby. Because Eddie and Columbia had a thing, but apparently Frankie also had a thing with Eddie. Frankie's hooking up with everybody, and bitch, I'm here Mm -hmm. for it. But from here, Frank tries to change things around and sings the reprise of I Can Make You a Man. (laughs) And then they have like this cute faux wedding, and they lead to a bedchamber, and Frank hops 
on his dick and we get the closing and a wedding style procession. Normally in the like stage production, this is the end of act one and we're about to go into act two. And it feels that way to me. Yeah, like, It still feel, has that essence of like a stage show structure. Yeah, definitely. And I love the whole little like faux wedding part because it leads so into cute. like the, the procession song. And they think there's even a bouquet involved. <laughs> That's thrown. Yes, it's great. <laughs> During that song, we also get Janet's first like little slip up. Originally, Janet's like, "Oh, I'm not that impressed by muscles," but by the second reprise, I'm a muscle fan. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then Brad just looks at her like, "Bitch." Uh, I think the fuck not, you trick ass bitch. That's not bad. I don't think Brad's bad. I would like it's fine. Take off the glasses though. I would jump on Brad. What? Take off the glasses, leave them on. Look at me, daddy. <laughs> daddy, chill. The criminologist comes on again and mentions that Brad and Janet are in trouble now as they are being led away to separate rooms for the night. And this is my favorite. This is my favorite. <laughs> this is my fucking favorite. Of course it is, you pig. While separated, Ow. Frankenfurter comes into Janet's bedroom dressed as Brad and seduces Janet. Then he goes into Brad's room dressed as Janet and tries to seduce Brad. Brad puts up a little bit of a fight, but is talked into it. <laughs> of course he is. I fucking knew it. Well, as, as long as we don't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, Janet feels frightened and used as and goes to look for Brad. Meanwhile, Rocky escapes the bedchamber and is running loose, chased by dogs through the rain outside the castle and by the gleeful riffraff. While wandering the castle lost and afraid, Janet encounters Rocky hiding in his tank at the lab. Seeing that he is injured, she tears her petticoat to bandage his wounds, pausing as she realizes she's aroused. Uh, so, okay, hold on. We gotta take like two steps back. The fucking bedroom scene. We get this in silhouette. We get a cute, I think it's a pink, red? It's a red. For Janet, and then a blue lighting for Brad. And I love this sequence because both are structured the same way. One comes in. Oh, I wish we couldn't have been here. Oh, let's make out. Oh, it's you. <laughs> yeah. And then it's Frank goes down on them. And Frank goes down on them. <laughs> I was saving myself is probably my favorite fucking line from both of them. But Brad's turn is hilarious because when he pulls the wig off he freaks out but it takes like less than half than 10 seconds for <laughs> frankenfurter to get him on it and i love it everyone's like now sexually exploring once they're exposed to all of this like queerness mm -hmm. and it's so it's so funny and yes rocky escapes and we get the i w i want to be able to take the music cue because it all, it all happens in quick cuts and it's like <laughs> And it's just like Rocky running around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Riff the ones tries to like cinch him with candles and Rocky being essentially Frankenstein goes, <laughs> <laughs> just makes a run. From here, the criminologist comes back on and mentions the complexity of human emotions and the dangers of lust. Uh, it fades away to Magenta and Columbia, who are secretly watching this whole interaction with Rocky and Janet. They had cameras in their house before it was popular. Fuck you. <laughs> I love it. I wish we had more stuff with Magenta and Columbia because their side comments are the fucking best. I know. Best. They're the best. They're the peanut gallery of the movie. <laughs> 
Janet tries to seduce Rocky, explaining that she used to be a virgin, but now she finds that she might really like sex. And she goes into, touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me. I want to be teddy. <laughs> and Rocky is absolutely on board. He is down to fuck. DTF for sure. While all this is happening, Columbia and Magenta watch in secret from their TV room and laugh and play around, making fun of what's going on. <laughs> I love I love this scene. It's her sexual liberation, and she needs to be dicked down. Not by one, not by two, but by everybody. Because there's that sequence when she's laying in the tank and everybody keeps going, Creature of the night. Oh, yeah. Creature of the night. Creature of the night. My favorite is Brad. Creature of the night. (laughs) God, why are you going to come and ruin the fantasy? I know. Even in her fantasy, Brad can't do shit. As per usual. And Columbia and Magenta are just watching it. I think my favorite is the opening line of, um, you mean she, uh-huh, because she's not used to heavy petting. <laughs> the lines, the lyrics are everything. So as the two women enjoy one another, Frankenfurter beats up Riff Raff for letting Rocky loose while Brad watches with horror. An alarm goes off and Riff Raff looks on another TV monitor and mentions that someone is outside by the main gate as they all look and see a middle-aged man in a wheelchair buzzing the intercom at the front gate. Dr. Everett Scott has arrived at the castle. Brad recognizes his old teacher and is happy to see him, but Frankenfurter is angry that the two know one another, recognizing Dr. Scott as a federal agent investigating UFOs. Or the F-B-I! <laughs> <laughs> Suspecting Brad and Jenner are actually spies. Brad denies this, explaining that Dr. Scott is a science teacher from Denton High, but Frank doesn't believe him. You just couldn't wait to say that line. Oh, no, I couldn't. This is what, Frankenfurter's like third, fourth, fourth look so far. And this is when they wear that sick leather jacket. Oh, just done up with buttons all over and it is my favorite this is my favorite look Mm -hmm. this is just everything honey and she i love she just starts ripping whipping riffraff like what the fuck she lays into him too whipping him to Mm -hmm. shit and he kind of deserved it brad's like trying it's like post-coitus so brad's like in a komodo and he's like (laughs) oh baby what's happening like don't be mad baby 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 don't be mad and i love that it's like mercy mercy." (laughs) this is just so high camp like i can't sell this enough but meanwhile dr scott enters the castle and finds himself alone in the zen room which is an (laughs) opioid room is it is it opium I, I believe so. I'm pretty sure it was opium. Frankenfurter then takes Brad to the lab where he turns on the powerful magnet to drag Dr. Scott's wheelchair up to them. And it's the best because you can clearly see the wires and the mechanics <laughs> used to pull this wheelchair around this house. Yeah, It is so fucking funny and camping. I don't care. Uh, the clunk of Dr. Scott's wheelchair arrives, waking sleeping Janet and Rocky, who sit up in shock. Everyone in the room is frightened, confused, and hurt to see one another. And we get probably the most infamous, like, line setup of Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky! Rocky. <laughs> Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky! It's so fucking 
Good. I will sit here and do that all day if you want me to, because you have not stopped laughing. It, 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 it feels like it goes on for like a it's solid so five funny. minutes, but it's it's hilarious and it breaks like somewhat of the, the tension. tension. <laughs> it's so good. I love that Rocky doesn't say anything. He just gives a pensive look. It just turns. <laughs> and then Magenta appears and says, Master, dinner is prepared. Attempting to handle things with grace, Dr. Frankenfurter invites everyone for dinner, informing them that formal tire is optional. And he storms off in a rage. <laughs> if that isn't like angry mom <laughs> storming off after a day of work. That is angry queer pissed off that the attention's not them on and them anymore. It is my birthday. <laughs> that was you on your 21st. Don't give a fuck. <laughs> Everyone meets in the grand dining room for a dinner of roast beef and vegetables in honor of Rocky's birthday. Frank demands that everyone sing Rocky happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's still singing. It's so <laughs> It's the it was dumbest slash most uncomfortable thing ever. I love it. I feel like that was not scripted. That was all Tim Curry. That was all Tim. It was the end of a long day, bitch. Just was fucking get out of here. <laughs> and they, uh, they're eating like this weird turkey thing. It'll be explained in a second, right? Yeah. So Dr. Scott reveals in song, the song Eddie's Teddy. Uh, the most skippable song. And I skip this song every time. Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, that he's not there to investigate Frank in the household, but to look for his nephew, Eddie, who went missing with a cryptic cry for help and a letter being the last contact he had from him. Sure, Eddie was a no-good kid, but he still had... But he's... <sighs> sure, Eddie was a no-good kid, but he's still family. In response to this, the tablecloth is pulled from the table to reveal Eddie's hacked-up bloody corpse in a glass case and the fact that they were being served roast Eddie for dinner. <laughs> Brad and Dr. Scott are paralyzed with terror and Janet runs to Rocky's arms. Frankenfurter is outraged, slapping Janet and Janet runs away with Frank chasing after her, encouraging her through a song, Once in a While, also known as Planet Janet, Janet, uh, to stop sleeping with everyone else. <laughs> She's now his. This scene is everything. Hereditary could never with their dinner scenes. Texas Chainsaw could never with their date with their dinner scene. This is iconic. I was legit taken aback from the reveal of mm -hmm. Eddie being underneath the table and him being eaten by everyone. You mentioned it, that Janet runs to Rocky's arms. No, 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 that happens before, because I have to mention it. It's when, <laughs> it's when uh, everyone's eating the roast beef and Frankenfurter's still working the electric carver <laughs> and Rocky does something and he goes, Yeah. <laughs> Because Frank is still carving the quote-unquote roast beef. <sighs> and by this point, I think Riff Raff or Magenta is like literally just slapping meat on everybody's plate <laughs> with no grace whatsoever. And they give Rocky like the <sighs> leg, which by the way, it's not roast beef. It's actually a turkey because for some reason, Rocky gets a leg. Um, anyways, Rocky starts to eat it. And that's when Frank and Fred goes with the, <laughs> with the carver because he starts eating first. It's so good. Oh, but Eddie's Teddy is just a long explanation of like Eddie and how he was a no, he was a no good, a good kid. Boy. Yeah, it's just it's and all this other stuff. Like I, I skip it. But uh, when the runaround scene when Rocky starts chasing Janet around in terror, my favorite one of my favorite lyrics. I think it's top two is 
uh, your apple pie don't, don't taste, taste too, too nice. nice. <laughs> love, I live because he's essentially just reading down Janet for he is for trying to be this coy, sweet, innocent girl. When really, she's a slut, just like her mother. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Janet, followed by Frankenfurter, followed by Rocky, followed by Brad, followed by Dr. Scott. They end up in the lab again, and Frank pulls a switch to glue everyone's feet to the floor. My wheels. My God, I can't move my wheels. Move my... <laughs> That's my favorite line. Hold on, we got to redo that. My legs. I can't move my legs. My wheels. My God, I can't move my wheels. <laughs> It's so stupid. Uh, everyone keeps telling, you're a hot dog. And in response, he switches the Medusa flip and turns them all into stone. Oh, wow. Uh, Columbia comes in and tells Frank, you've gone too far. You just use people. And now people are really hurt. Frank Inferner just doesn't respond by turning that bitch into stone as well. He turns to Riff Raff and Magenta to prepare the floor show. And we get probably the best line from Frank Inferner when he looks directly at the audience mm. and says, It's not easy having a good time. Even smiling makes my face ache. And then he bites his finger. It's a, I love that line. It's one of my, I mean, it's so good. this movie's filled with iconic lines, but this is like probably top 10 of the top my one, lines. Yeah. yeah. I love this scene because aside from Frankenfurter, quote unquote, medusalizing everybody, um, this is where Columbia comes in. She kind of gets somewhat of a character arc and she comes in yes. and she really gives it to Frank saying, I loved you. You hear me? I loved you. And then Frank just shows their true colors and turns her into Medusa as well. Because Frankenfurter is honestly probably the villain, but like a relatable sympathetic villain that you kind of feel for especially moving forward towards the end because towards the end you really get Frankenfurter's development which is so odd to say in this campy ass movie <laughs> yeah. because you're right we do get a really solid emotional beat from Columbia that honestly I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting Frankenfurter to have that moment of vulnerability yes he's fucking around and saying his face aches but like it sort of makes sense within like this queer ideology does that mm -hmm. make sense no it totally makes sense because I feel like as a queer sometimes you're used as like a good time like the token it's evident the token gay who's there to just lift everybody's spirits like at any other drag show where the bachelorette party's there and they're just acting a fool and all that act other bullshit act a fool girl act a fool, act a fool girl Act the full girl, but I love it because this is this this is the beginning of our wonderful finale. Mm -hmm. it's, ugh, I'm so excited. The criminologist comes on and hints that in this place where nothing is as it seems, the floor show is going to be something very shocking. The next scene we see is the statue versions of everyone on stage, now all wearing fishnets, makeup, a thong, and the same bustier. One by one, they are unfrozen and they each sing and dance a song, Floor Show, about how they've changed since they came here. Rocky and Columbia sing about their pastimes in Rose Tint My World. And Frankenfurter, Brad, and Janet sing their own version, Fanfare, Don't Dream It, Be It. Dr. Scott is accidentally unfrozen and realizes that this place is a trap and everyone should run while they are still sane enough to escape. Frankenfurter comes out like a prized showgirl and sings a solo, starting an orgy in the swimming pool that is uncovered as he sings. After the orgy, Frankenfurter sings a song praising his wild and untamed household called Wild and Untamed Thing. 
this is like a nine, 10, maybe 15 minute sequence. And it is my favorite sequence in the whole thing. Cause the production number is beautiful. Because before this, all of this begins, we get the sickest riff of and it like it's building you see frankenfurter setting everything up and he's hilariously like <laughs> half regalia and, and pissed half off hair in a wrap make up a mess got cold cream on the face and they're still trying to off, get trying to <laughs> do we know the finishing touches on everybody like a, a good house mother with it's so fucking funny. And I love the using of the Medusa switch. So every time the switch goes, someone turns on and we get Rocky. He explains he's oh, just seven hours old, which is kind of disturbing for me because he's already fucked like four times. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's an animal. These are animalistic. Uh... Well, he talks about it. I love this song because every musical always has a I learned song. Mm-hmm. There's always uh, an I want song, which happened in the beginning of the Damn It Janet. There's also like uh, a reveal song, a villain song. They all fit within categories. This is the I learn song. It's in every fucking musical. But with this musical, it talks about sexual expression and like sex. This is all about sex. It's about sexual liberation. Mm-hmm. Rocky talks about it, how his libido can't be controlled and how he's gone to here, but he doesn't mind. Next comes fucking Brad in the best brad kills this performance for me everybody brad fucking crushes it yeah brad has the best character arc in my opinion because obviously in the beginning they start very timid and coy or whatever and then by the wound up and homegirls rocking fishnet thigh highs heels a corset full makeup loving it and then loving the falsetto like me, mommy. It's so good. I feel sexy. And bitch, he does like the best, like lift your leg and sensual mm-hmm. touch it. And then Janet, she comes in with a moan. And I'm not exaggerating. Susan Sarandon. No. Get it. Get it. The makeup is so iconic. It's like a mix of like a mime meets burlesque dancer. Like it's mm-hmm, very cabaret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Almost meet. Yeah, like you said, a mime. It. I don't know. It works, especially with like the hypersexualized costume of the corsets with the fishnets and the boas. It just works. And we also get the implementation of rose tint my world, and I love that. And essentially just like blurring the lines of a world that we don't want to partake in and using this rose tinted glasses as a way to like express yourself is what it means. It's super deep and I love it. But by the mm-hmm. way, quick tangent, this is how my ex-boyfriend broke up with me. He literally used that line of, I can't keep wearing rose tinted glasses about how we feel about each other. We can't be together anymore. And I couldn't listen Ew. to Rocky for like two years because of that horror. I now I'm like, you are breaking up with me through a musical line. This is the gayest breakup I've ever been through. Seriously, but also very fitting for you because you're a musical. I know, but don't you didn't have to ruin my favorite number. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that was a dick move. But uh, Dr. Everett Scott's reveal is also great. Like uh, He's talking about how we need to get out and all of a sudden he feels the fantasy and he's wearing uh-huh. fishnets. Fishnets and heels, bitch. My favorite is this Underneath part. that little blanket. <laughs> Click, clack. 
That's the sound of a sling bag. He does the uh, cereal mom slap your thighs together scene. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Frankenfurter's reveal at the end? Because the reveal at the end for me is just like, it It, it literally took my breath away when Frankenfurter comes out to do Don't Dream It, Be It. Because we get that amazing set design of the, is the RKO? Yeah, RKO. Mm -hmm. Pictures, like tower. thing that then turns into a dive board. And we get the most beautiful shot of Tim Curry in beautiful blue glitter eyeshadow, gorgeous red lips, and talking about how he wanted to be Faye Ray and her delicate dresses and how it made him weep and he wanted to be that this song Mm -hmm. for me i did it as a quote for high school it means a lot for a lot of people especially within the queer community and i love love this number how do you feel about it i thought it was i don't think i have quite the deep connection (laughs) with the finale no no no, you're totally fine um obviously this this film holds a very very like kind of different special place in your heart than it holds in mine but I think it's a great end piece to this very queer and expressive film because throughout the whole, this is essentially uh, Frankenfurter's character arc mm-hmm. because through the whole movie, they've been very, I don't want to say hard, but they're very like out loud and in your face almost. And this gave you this softness to the character and let you know why they are the way that they are and how, why they express themselves the way they express themselves. That's, that's honestly it. And I think that's why it moves me so much. It's very vulnerable, especially their last, last song, but Frankenfurter's on this diving board, giving this beautiful solo and then leaps into what looks like clouds and then soon mm-hmm. dissipates into this beautiful pool that also has the painting of the creation of Adam, which is also just another layer to this beautiful fucking movie. And we commence yeah. into this hot swimming pool orgy where she got yeah. sick and got pneumonia, but whatever, we'll move past that. <laughs> the magic of movie making. <laughs> And that moves into wild and untamed thing, which is my, 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 It's so cool and rock. And they're, I feel so bad for them because they're all wet and drenched and they're still trying to hit all these dance moves. They're hitting their dance moves. Frantic and crazy. There's saxophones going and it's beautiful. But unfortunately, we get interrupted by Riff Raff Magenta and wearing your favorite. Strange yes. uniforms armed with laser beams. Riff Raff informs Frank that it's all over as his mission was a failure due to Frankenstein, Frankenstein, due to Frankenfurter becoming <laughs> too extreme. He declares that Frank is now his and Magenta's prisoner as he has been made commander and that they're going back to their home planet of Transylvania and the galaxy of transsexual immediately. Frank is happy for this, singing about how long he's been wanting to go back to the homeland that he was exiled from. And he sings, I'm going home. Riff Raff stops him again and explains that only he and Magenta are going home. Frankenfurter is to be killed as Riff Raff replies, Say hello to Oblivion. Riff Raff points a ray gun at Frank, <laughs> but Columbia screams in an attempt to save Frank. Quickly, she's shot and killed. Riff Raff then tries to kill Frank as he almost runs away. Rocky, seeing his creator fall, grabs Frank and tries to grab and climb the set that was the RKO background of the stage. Crying in rage and pain, 
multiple shots from the ray gun, but unfortunately Rocky is killed and falls into the pool where he and Frank float because they have unfortunately passed. This is an amazing climax to this wild ride of a musical because Magenta and Riff Raff bust in while they're still singing the song, mind you. And so they bust in with their own lines in these iconic costumes. In my opinion, they're very reminiscent of like 1950s, 1960s sci-fi, but they pictured like either aliens to wear or maybe like uh, astronauts, what they would wear in the future like or whatever the case may be. Pad, gold lame with black mm-hmm. high thongs, everything. And then Riff Raff's hair is pulled back into a little pony that's pushed then forward. It on looks top like a of scorpion tail. Yeah. And then Magenta is essentially wearing like uh Bride of Frankenstein hair. It's stunning. It's I love their looks. They burst in and essentially tell Frank like, you fucked up. We're going back to Transylvania. You're not coming with this. Peace out, dog. And the scene that follows is really, it's honestly, it's really like jarring because all of a sudden everything becomes really real. All of a sudden there's like this heightenedness. Columbia screaming is terrifying. And I have to know in the original stage production, it's my favorite, favorite fucking line. It's uh, Columbia sacrifices herself and Frankenfurter catches her. And he says, you sacrificed your life for me. Silly bitch. And then drops her. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I kind of wish they would have kept that in the movie. I'm glad that they don't because it like lessens Frankenfurter's character after he's had this arc, but it's fucking hilarious. And Rocky's (laughs) response to Frankie being killed, it's really hard to listen to because he's really screaming in agony. And once he passes, I think we get my favorite line from Riff Raff and Magenta. He liked you. He didn't like me. He never liked me. Jealous bitch. I said I felt. I love it though because it also because at least in my opinion throughout the movie that was what I noticed a lot about how uh, yeah about how Magenta and Riff Raff were very much in the dark. They were the side pieces. But they were also running the whole show. Yeah, but they were also bored. You could tell they were bored throughout the whole movie because that's the character. Like they're bored. They've been doing this for like however long they've been here now. So they're like when they come out in their regalia, ready to make their triumphant, you know, return to home. It's really nice to see, and I love that Riff Ruff gets that line in there because obviously you could tell he was miserable, and so he knew that Frank didn't like him, so he's happy to make a triumphant return home. Right? Because also throughout, it's sprinkled that Riff Raff and Magenta, everybody's having sex with everybody in this cast. Like, that's just what they do. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of clear that Riff Raff is both running the show and also kind of, like, wants to be... I have a feeling that Frankenfurter probably hooked up with all of them and did what he did with Columbia, what he did with Eddie, what he's gonna do with Rocky. He eats people up and then chews them out. So it's really cool to see all of this interaction and you don't need much of it. We go into I'm Going Home, which is probably like the most heartbreaking song out of all of it, because Tim Curry gives a fucking excellent ballad. Holy Mm -hmm. crap. We get segments of him imagining an audience, and it's really moving. I really get moved by that song every single time. From here, we move forward. Riff Raff turns to Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott and tells them to leave now that they still can, (laughs) and they do so. Meanwhile, in a now empty home, 
Magenta and Riff Raff celebrate going home as an incestual relationship is implied, brother and sister. They also do that weird like elbow thing where they like meet hands yeah. and it lifts. And they go all the way up. And then they and come all back. The way down. It's very weirdly sexual at the same time. I'm like, ah. And then he sucks on her neck. Ooh, oh, he does. Uh, Brad and Janet, carrying Dr. Scott, escape just as the castle explodes and flies away under rainbow and blue skies. Uh, as dawn comes forward, Riff Raff and Magenta's home planet, they're making their way, leaving everybody else literally, literally withering away on the charred ground, still in full regalia and drag from the floor show as it lifts off into space. Technically, there was a song that was here. It's Superheroes. It's in the original production. It's also on the soundtrack. And it was Brad's song about everything that occurs, but they cut it and I'm kind of happy that they do. It really lulls. Yeah. And then from here, the criminologist comes back one last time with their somber and iconic lines describing the house as it flies away. And crawling on the planet's face, some insects called the human race, lost in time and lost in space and meaning. And we end our crazy sci-fi adventure. This crazy science fiction double feature. Now, final thoughts, feelings, concerns. Love. <laughs> I live, laughed, loved it. <laughs> I, this is one of my favorites. It's iconic. Really? It's cemented in pop culture history. It's cemented in clear history. Five out of five would recommend. <laughs> I have no notes. I have no notes. It's it, No notes. There's no notes. I fully agree. If you could not tell by the way that I literally worship this movie, it is a five out of five. It. I don't think I could have graded it anything else because it is so ingrained in my queer upbringing. And this movie was a huge liberation. And I love how this movie is so unabashedly queer, sexual mm-hmm. liberation, gender expression, gender fluidity, sex, hilarious, campy, and it's Punk a rock. musical. Like what? This movie is perfect. It is a five out of five for me. I would give it a six out of five if I could, if I was in heels. So like, I love it. (laughs) That is going to wrap up our movie. We hope you guys fully enjoyed next week. It is our last week of pride. Hmm, sad. Sad face. No one says that, but yes. Okay, (laughs) word. Our final film for our pride celebration is a nightmare. We are finally visiting Elm Street and getting to explore Freddy Krueger's dream world. Queerdos, we are ending with the infamously gay as hell (laughs) on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. The gayest installment in the series, hands down. We have to end with a bang, and I feel like there's no other way but with this movie. I'm so excited we finally get to go to Elm Street. Whoop, 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 whoop. I am so excited. This is our first Freddy movie, and of course, we had to start with the gayest of all of them. We just couldn't start any other way. I'm so hyped. If you'd like to keep up with us, please follow us on our Instagram at The Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. Please follow, rate, comment, review our podcast wherever you're streaming. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFU Ray. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode, guys. Don't dream it. Be it. (laughs) We will catch you on the flip side. And until then, bye, 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 bye. Say hello to Oblivion. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.